Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So uh, we have James Altucher today. Uh, James and I go way back. We had a great debate on Yahoo Finance in like 2010. And I think yeah. that, was the, that was the first time, James, I had ever been in any kind of video presentation because, uh, dare I say, like you, I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, this is our perfect format. This is, this is it for us. And uh, we had a great lively debate. And I, of course, at the time was very concerned about Europe's banks and whether or not the ECB would ever decide to paper it over or whether or not there would be a real crisis and a bank run and you know the whole deflationary scenario you were very bullish on stocks in general and on apple and i think at the end of the day we'd have to say that you were right yeah although although to be fair like europe is a mess and they keep putting tape and glue on it to fix it up i just think that's disconnected from the health of the u.s economy there's not it, there, there's not as much contagion like it's not an infectious disease like people think well, we have the perfect cure for contagion. It's called a printing press. Yes, it's true. You're absolutely right, Porter. And, and Europe is not allowed constitutionally to have a printing press. They have to back it with bonds out the back door. Whereas, again, whether you're philosophically for a printing press or not, uh, it does uh, inflate, artificially make people feel wealthier, and then they buy stocks with that artificial wealth. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, just so you know, I, I, I switched my position... And um, in the fall of 2011, um, I think actually our interview was in August of 2011. It was I said, August, I said 17, August 17, 2011. But it was 2011. Anyways, I, I went I went bullish on stocks in, in mid December uh, 2011, and I've added I don't know probably 40 securities to our recommended list since then. Because what happened was, as you mentioned, the the ECB began to basically they they have created their own type of printing press where they're they're um, they're doing essentially the same thing the Fed's doing, but they have a little bit different language and a little bit different legal rules around it. But they've they've greatly su- uh, increased their uh, money supply and they've been buying all the bonds of these uh, weaker countries, the the Spains and the um, and the Irelands and the and the and the Greeks. Although and and what's I don't know if everyone knows this or not. And James, I want to get past this European thing, but the one thing I do want to point out about what's going on in Cyprus is that the reason why, the technical reason why the Cyprus banks collapsed is because the ECB enforced a haircut on the Greek bondholders, and the the Cypriot banks owned a lot of those bonds. 
So th- this, right. this issue is if you start to hold people accountable in capitalism, there is a huge domino effect because no one's had to be responsible in capitalism since the end of World War II, right? We've just had this, this, these, these, these currency regimes that were all based on the U.S. dollar and where inflation was a constant process. So Mexico goes, goes broke in 1982. Oh, no problem. We'll just print up some Brady bonds and uh, paper it all over. And, and this has happened again and again and again where inflation was always the answer. You call on the IMF, you get some loans from, the, from, from, the, uh, from Uncle Sam, and uh, you, do, you inflate wildly and you paper over all your problems. And now, I believe we're kind of at the end of the road of that process where we have created so much paper and so much debt that the whole system is just becoming unstable and starting to fly apart. So, or if I if I could add to that, I, I think it's excellent that you that you mentioned it started with World War II because I think it's a psychological thing as well as an economic thing where women started to work. So suddenly, which is great, but suddenly we had these two income families that forever after needed to keep up with the Joneses. So we had you know the the post war boom, then we had the Great Society, then we had the inflation after you know during Nixon, then we had you know uh, Milkonomics with Michael Milken and junk bonds everywhere, then we had the internet boom, then we had the housing boom, and then finally we had the Federal Reserve boom. You're right, we've run out of booms. What can boom next? There's, there's nothing left, and well, yet we the, still have this psychological need to keep up with the Joneses, which is falling well, apart. Well, lately we've been trying to base all the expansion of credit in our economy on on college students. How's that sound for a credit risk? Right. So, so that's that's the last <laughs> boom left. Is that your children and people are still psychologically thinking, oh, my kids. In order to have a good life, they need to have a good education. So, I just went all around NYU, for instance, interviewing kids, and they have no idea how they're going to pay off their student loans. They're and they not. have fifty years worth of student loans thing. Right. So, I tell people, you know what you should do? You should default. Like you should figure out. You know, it's very, very hard because the government will lend you the money with one hand and they'll put you in jail with the other. So it's very hard to default. No, but, they don't actually. Oh, they don't actually put you in jail. We don't actually have debtors' prison. Yeah, yeah, they'll garnish everything you ever own for the right. rest of your life. So you have to. So, 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 so then, so now, so now, there's this huge growth in under the table black market college student labor. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I've got, that's I've why got, now you need a graduate degree to get a job because I'm employing. They'll, 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 I'm employing like four of these people. <laughs> I'm yeah. serious. The women who babysit my kids, all college graduates, all get paid in cash, all have student loans they're not repaying, and the guys who run my boat, same thing. So think about what that happens. And so now they're not even really productive members of society in the sense that they're they're not contributing to Social Security, they're not contributing to any kind of federal taxes, they're not paying payroll taxes, you know, and they're of course they're labeled as unemployed, which might have something and- to do with the huge amount of people who are not officially in the labor force. Right, and, and even worse than all that is that all these people who are potentially talented creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and artists—they have to work on your boat now. Like, well, they, they, they can't that, actually that's not a bad create gig. new businesses and jobs. <laughs> that's but they're, but I, they're not I would trade jobs while they work on your boat. They're I, helping I, your boat, which is great. I would I would trade places with my captain in a heartbeat, and a, and a heartbeat. <laughs> I just don't think my wife would like that very much. Well, maybe next year. Listen, uh, I want everybody to get on their computer, and I want them to go to your website, uh, which is uh, jamesalticher.com. And I want them to look for three particular blog posts. And I hate the word, I hate calling you a blogger, James, because you're not unemployed. And as far as I know, you don't work in your basement in your underwear. So, right, well, 
but, try not to. My but, wife will, will get upset at me if I do. <laughs> but James actually is a is a successful money manager. He he's doing you're doing venture capital these days mostly, aren't you? Yes, yes, a lot of venture capital. But he's a fantastic writer, and we greatly admire his uh, his. You know, you you like me have uh, honesty Tourette's. You uh, you yep. say far too much, and it's it's very entertaining to see it. So there's there's three posts that I particularly loved, and I wanted to talk with you about them. the The first is uh, ten scams you encounter every day. The second is ten reasons why you should never own stocks again, which is an essay I've actually written too. And the third is uh, eight alternatives to college. I want to add a fourth, real fast. The seven things that happen when you're completely honest, which is the way Porter and I live our lives. So we, we don't have, yeah. of course, we don't have. We can spend all day on each of these topics, and of course, we have better things to do. So just uh, the quick elevator pitch for ten scams you encounter every day. Well, just that essentially we have this $20 trillion advertising agency, and I'm including the student loan and the mortgage industry in that. That convinces us in order to find happiness, uh, we have to uh, uh, own a home, we have to go to college, we have to vote for even if we don't like either of our choices. So there's all, there's all this stuff that we're convinced we need for happiness, even though we're only, we only think that because the TV is telling us or our parents are telling us or our brainwashed friends are telling us. So our whole lives are infiltrated with kind of generations worth of scams. And in order to really be happy, you have to deprogram yourself almost in order to find out how you really feel, which is, which is something most people don't do throughout their lives. Great. So, like, like, again, going to Applaud. college is a great example or owning a home. I, I agree completely. I, I tell the young people that work in my company that they should save half of their after-tax income and that they should never, ever engage in any kind of uh, debt, period. And they look at me like I have four eyes. And what they don't know is that, yeah. that what they don't know is that I did that. I know it can be done. And guess what? Look what happened in, you know, in, in the 10 years of my life from 25 to 35. So they look at me and they say, oh, I would love to have the success that Porter had. I'd love to have the things that he had. Yeah, but they're not willing to do any of the things it takes to have that kind of financial independence and that kind of financial freedom. And the most important thing, as you well know, James, is it, you have to consume less than you earn. It's that simple. It's, it's that simple, and you can't bank on future earnings either by taking out debt now. You need, you, the, the, way, the way you earn money is by getting skills that other people are going to value. So help others, and you'll be happier, you'll make more money, other people will benefit, the economy will grow. So the way to, the way to lose money is to borrow money when you're at your peak and uh, then go bankrupt, which is what a lot of people actually in their 30s, 40s, and 50s do. <laughs> It's simple. If you just say to yourself, "I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna borrow money," well, that's out the window. That that whole risk. If you can avoid, right. and seriously, if you can avoid, if you can avoid divorce, and you can avoid borrowing money, there is almost no chance that you'll ever have any significant financial difficulty, barring some kind of catastrophic health problem. Right, and and I could say having been divorced and having borrowed money and having gone bankrupt uh, and then being forced to rebuild, it's really hard to rebuild. Like, you can do it if you have the skill set, but you don't want to have to do it. It's very painful. <laughs> I'm trying desperately I'm trying desperately to avoid all of that. Porter's trying. He's hanging out for dear life. <laughs> I tell everybody... Uh, don't, I congratulate you. That's great. I tell everybody the only thing I can't afford is a divorce. <laughs> Everything else is negotiable. All right. Uh, right, right. Uh, so, so, listen, I, I wrote... Um, 
uh, in, in 2007, in December 2007, I recommended shares of Hershey. And I, I did so because the stock had been completely beaten up because Wall Street was convinced that Cadbury and Kraft were going to tie up and that that would eat Hershey's lunch. And I didn't think that was likely because I see Hershey as being a, a, a lifetime iconic brand. I think my grandkids will eat Hershey's chocolate bars and make s'mores out of them over the campfires, right? Sure. So it's a simple business. It's extremely capital efficient because Hershey doesn't have to invent chocolate every year. They don't have to build a new plant. They just keep using the one they've got, right? So very capital efficient, uh, high, uh, uh, um, what, what Buffett calls uh, economic goodwill business. You know, great brand. So uh, you could buy the stock at the time, I don't know, for like around uh, 10 times cash flow. or uh, And for me, cash flow means uh, the, the cash profits minus CapEx. So, right. uh, so, you know, it's cheap. It's a great business. And we bought it. Now, if you think about when we bought it, that was about the worst time possible for buying anything. That's December of, of 07. It's, it's, you know, whatever, nine months before the greatest financial calamity since the Great Depression. And we have a rule in my company, uh, James, that we sell stocks if they're down 25% from their high, no matter what. And that just prevents us from having a, a, you know, any kind of uh, catastrophic loss. Of course, it also, right. over the long run, over the long run, it will reduce our average return. There's no doubt about that. But I would much rather uh, give up uh, two or three points in total return and not have the headaches of thinking I was going broke once every five or 10 years. So, so that's what we do. And the, the point of the story is we didn't stop out of Hershey. That we bought a high-quality company at the right price, right in front of the biggest financial train wreck any of us have ever seen, and we didn't stop out of the stock. We still have it. Now we're up, I don't know, 130% or whatever it is. I'm not telling the story to, to brag. I'm saying that it's very, very difficult to buy common stocks that are not going to be more volatile than that, that are not going to give you a big problem. And the reason why Hershey didn't give us a big problem, even in front of the financial train wreck, is because it is a, such a unique business. I don't know if you've spent any time looking at it, but the majority holder of the stock owns about 40% of the, of the company's shares and controls it. It's the Milton Hershey Charitable Trust that owns the, the, yeah. the controlling stake. And the state of Pennsylvania passed a law that they they're never allowed to sell. Period. Yeah, I remember that because a few years ago they tried to sell. There was a, yeah. there was a battle, and the and the governor was like, "Do it, and I'll put you in jail. You're not selling." And what I loved about it was that the trust had a bunch of uh, Wall Street guys that were advising them that what they needed to do was diversify. Because this asset just wasn't reliable and that someday the trust might go broke and the poor kids and all the stuff, right? Well, we need all different diversified, blah, 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 all the Wall Street nonsense that would come with the tons of fees and lots of money for the bankers, right? And then that didn't work. So then they said, well, why don't we, we for you to buy Cadbury, you're going to have to do a reverse merger and Cadbury is going to become the controlling company. And the, anyway, so, so infrequently do politicians make any, any kind of decision that makes any sense. But in this case, they created a very high quality branded company that has incredible amounts of economic goodwill. And they made it so that Wall Street couldn't f***ing steal it from us. And so yeah. I, I told people, I said, I'm convinced that this will become the best recommendation I've ever made in my entire career because you're going to compound your capital here at about 15% a year and no, and they're not allowed to f*** it up. And, and the whole essay, I should send it to you, the whole essay is about why you should never buy common stocks because inevitably, sooner or later, the directors of the company will f*** you over by selling out, by taking the green mail, and by screwing up your long-term investment. Now, I'm sure that wasn't exactly what you were talking about in your essay, but I'm wondering what, what are your top ten reasons why you should never buy common stocks? 
Well, actually, that's part of my reason in that the, the people inside the company are always going to know more than the people outside of the company. And I would say 99% of public companies are run by criminals, just to be honest. And I'm not being anti-capitalist here. I wish honest people would run companies. But I think once companies are public, there becomes a personal incentive to cash out quickly by the top management rather than actually build the company. Exactly you know, right. For the reasons you point out. So, you know, but some of the other reasons are you just... I have people call me every day. I want to day trade part time. Tell me how to do it. And I would say you might as well just stick your head in the toilet and flush because you're uh, think of the competition you're up against. And if you can't find it, there's that saying, if you can't find the sucker at the poker table, then it's you. Well, 99.999% of investors and traders are the suckers at the poker table. And you have Warren Buffett on the other side. And Warren Buffett, he seems like he, he is a nice old grandpa, but he's also will kill you and slash your throat in the street he is not going to lose money and you are you know to most people guaranteed so you know so why do that like and and the best case even if you're a genius you're going to make six percent a year seven percent a year invest in yourself start a business start a podcast and sell ads on it or or come up with a product or really innovate and help people instead of just trading back and forth pieces of paper like you can't make money as a day trader so so stay out of stocks but use your money for for happiness and for wealth creation rather than uh some stimulus that you want psychologically <laughs> well said. Well said. I get such you know, a- and, and and I have this conversation a lot because I used to write all the time about stocks, and I still am asked to discuss about stocks. But that's fine for me, and I have a track record on stocks, and everything as as do you. But uh, for most people, just back off. Yeah, well, because we, we, it's we, not going to work. And 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 uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe your day trading track record is good. I don't know. I know mine's terrible. I, I mean, if I, I, I well, I don't day trade at all. Actually, I I'm a long term holder of. I believe in economic trends, and economic trends stay or go no matter what happens in Cyprus or whatever. So that's what I bet on. Yeah, and it's so easy to understand what I do. I I buy great companies with great brands and great and at reasonable prices. I mean, it's not it's not hard to do what I do at all if you know the basics about if you know anything about business and you know the basics of accounting. It's not very difficult to be a good long term investor. It really isn't. But what I get a right. kick out of what I get a kick out of is how many of my readers and my listeners think that even though they don't know what the market cap is, they don't know how that number is derived. <laughs> they literally they literally think that the nominal price of the stock is how you judge whether it's expensive or not. That's where most of my audience lives. And they think with that with no amount of knowledge whatsoever and no amount of effort or responsibility on their own part that they can read a $49 newsletter and that they are then assured of getting rich. And even yeah, though it's, even it's though even though my, I think my newsletter is great and and even though if you actually follow my newsletter, you're going to do pretty well, you you won't be able to follow it if you don't know what you're doing. Because in the moment of panic, or in the in the moment where you want it, you need to let your winner run, or whatever, you're not going to do it because you don't understand why you're doing it. And if you don't understand why you're doing it, you have no chance of having the discipline to actually do it. And so I, I, you know, I do all what I can to educate these people. But what I constantly tell them is, if you don't learn this stuff, you're going to fail. And of course, uh, they get mad at me, and they write me that that's my job, and you know, then they cancel. But that's just the fact. I don't, I don't want to sell people a false dream. All right, what about? It's really the- true. 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry, I just want to know what what's uh, what's the the uh, alternatives to college because I I'm a huge believer that college is a waste of time. All I learned at the University of Florida was a bunch of bad habits. Luckily, I pay I paid for it in cash because it was still very affordable. I paid fifty dollars a credit hour. It wasn't a financial burden, but it was a giant. Well, just, it was a giant waste of time. Like twenty years ago, like I so I went to college twenty five years ago, and it was still expensive then. I still came out with debt. I paid. M- off my personally, I paid off every single dollar of debt. Uh, but now the debt is five times as big if you want to go to college. So it's just, it's just if you want to have fun, better to get a job at McDonald's for four years and have all the fun you want, and then uh, you know find a job in the real world. But college is not. First off, college is not going to get you a job. All those statistics are lies, and they're only put out by colleges, of course. So the real alternatives are simply start a business. Nobody on the internet cares whether you got a college degree or not. There's plenty, there's, there's millions of opportunities for being an entrepreneur on the internet. Now, do you have to be an entrepreneur? No. You're, you're only 18 years old. You might not even know, have the skill set to be in business. So go off and be an artist. Yes, you need money to be, to learn an art or to travel or whatever, but not the $200,000 you need to go to college. So do anything that costs less in college, you'll get better life experience, better education, better qualified to, to have a job. You'll actually learn how to fail. You'll learn how to communicate. You'll learn how to sell ideals. You'll learn how to come up with ideas. All of these things they don't teach you in college. So, uh, you know, almost everything is an alternative to college. Yeah, I college would... is actually a travesty. <laughs> I, I agree. And the, the thing that I love now that is if you if you if you were like me, I was always a bookworm. I actually liked college. I liked going to class. I liked learning. And and what's funny is that college is a terrible environment to do that because <laughs> you get surrounded by a bunch of kids that just want to drink and party. And, of course, that's also fun. So it's just a big distraction. Whereas now, today, you can go to college online. Have you seen these new things like where Stanford was putting up their uh, their curriculum for free online? And there's that uh, the guy that that Bill Gates was funding uh, the online the Khan, Khan. Khan Academy. Yeah, the yeah. Khan Academy. And if you want to learn something, you can learn it for free. It's all over YouTube. Yeah, and I would tell right. you, and and James, I know you'll agree with this. What do you think is more valuable in terms of its economic return? Do you think a degree in English literature is a, a good way to spend four years of your time? Again, this is if you're interested in making money. If you want to educate yourself, I agree you should. But I'm saying in terms of a return on your investment, is four years spent studying English literature worth more to you than four years learning how to sell shoes at Nordstrom's? Well, absolutely. Selling is the most important skill set for making money, and it's the one skill set uh, that you never, ever learn in college. In fact, you learn it's a bad word in college. Exactly. It's called selling out when you learn it in college. You, you don't actually learn selling. You learn that, that, that's, that selling is somehow some sort of sin uh, if you learn how to do it. It's in, crazy. In English literature, by the way, if I'm interested in reading, which, by the way, I'm a bookworm as well. I read two or three hours a day at least. Uh, I don't need to pay $200,000 to some bad teachers so that I can read. I can just go to the library for free and read. So... <laughs> You know, again, I don't know what the only purpose of college is the myth and scam of accreditation. Everybody thinks they need to be certified to do something. They need to be chosen by someone else. But the reality is in today's economy, you have to choose yourself because nobody else is going to choose you. It's yeah. every man for himself right now, for better or for worse. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm saying this is what you have to do. Out of uh, out of the guys that you run around with in uh, in Manhattan, 
Um, uh, how many? Uh, how many of these uh, top uh, hedge fund guys that have that are unbelievably smart? How many of them have uh, MBAs or Harvard MBAs? I mean, not not many. Most of these guys. No, not many. Hardly any. I'll tell you what they're good at. They're good at poker. They're good at they're, again. They're good at selling their services. Even if the hedge funds, I know a lot of hedge funds that are a scam. That are you know they're massive salesmen. They know how to sell themselves very well, and they know how to get a good deal for themselves. They know how to negotiate. They know how to hunt out for bargains, and they're not stupid like yeah. they'll, they'll they're smart about being about making money and being clever and it's these are skills that they did not learn in college well the the, the, the one of these guys that i'm close with uh arez Kalir, he um he was one of the uh, tiger cubs and now his hmm. now his fund is called um uh he just started a it's he was he was running a fund called Sabretooth for many years and then they they just he decided to uh fold that because it was with a partner and start a new one called Iron Iron Bridge or Iron Tree, something like that. Anyway, I've 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 been friendly with him for three or four years now, and uh, what's funny to me is that he was actually one of these Uber college smart kids. He does have the MBA. I think it's from Harvard or Stanford, and he was a Rhodes Scholar, and he 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 was extremely successful academically. But what's funny is when I ask him about it now, he just says it was all a hindrance. That stuff kept me. That stuff held me back for years and years and years. I had to unlearn so much of that stuff to be successful in what I do now. So even the folks it's who a- even the folks who were who did that, they they I don't I don't run into anyone who says, yeah, I'm going to tell my kids they better get an MBA. Let me let me tell you a, a very quick story. So my first job out of uh, graduate school was uh, doing computer programming at HBO, the television channel. So I went to undergrad for computer programming. I went to grad school for computer science. I get to the job, and the first thing they had to do, they had to send me to a class for remedial programming because I had absolutely no skills. But I had, <laughs> had, had 70000 in debt. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, James. Yeah. Listen, I, I I wish we got to talk with you more because I, I, this is a this is a pleasure. But I, I want to get to something that's a little more useful for our readers, and sure. uh, and like it or not, uh, even if we don't think of ourselves this way, we both have a reputation for being these financial seers. So uh, you say you invest in big economic trends. I'm interested to know where you think is a good place to make some money today, and but particularly if I limit you to the public markets, how would you do it? Well, I'll just tell what I've done personally. And some of these are large cap, some are small cap. But I think we're moving towards an employee-less society. Like, basically, the tide came in, and every company realized they could fire whoever they want without ramifications. So that's what's been happening. Every Fortune 100 company is basically slowly firing all their employees and turning to temp staffers. Yeah, how many people did J.P. Morgan just fire like a month ago? Like 17,000 people, something like that, right? Let me tell you, I see it from the front lines because I'm on the board of directors of a public temp staffing company called Corporate Resources, CRS, it's 800 million uh, run rate in revenues. And I see that, I see what's happening. I see the trend with my own eyes. I see the growth. I'm in the boardroom. And it's phenomenal what's happening in the temp staffing space because every company is firing all of their employees. So that's one issue. I like buy, you don't have to buy CRS, buy any temp staffing company and you're going to do well over, over the years. You know, and again, if the valuation is cheap and so on. Uh, the other thing is, the United States is the new Saudi Arabia. It's pretty clear now. Hey! Finally! Yes, yes! That's our idea! Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. We, 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 I didn't know that. We, we share that idea. So I'm all over the, the fracking space and, um, I love Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, and I'm in, um, yeah. I'm big in a, a, a small company, Petro River PTRC, which, uh, owns 150,000 acres in Oklahoma. They own land in Missouri. And, uh, Look, there's oil under the ground, and we're going to start digging it up. And guess what? Democrat or Republican, no one is going to prevent the United States from becoming the new Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I don't care how much of an environmentalist they are. We're, we're getting our oil. James, I had no idea. I had no idea. That's so exciting. I, I, I mean, I've been writing about uh, the shale boom literally since 2007. And, uh, you yeah. know, when I told people that there was more oil under the Eagle Ford shale than had ever been produced in the entire history of America, people looked at me like I had four eyes, but not anymore. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? You were ahead of your time in the sense that fracking was still a little nerve wracking then. We didn't know all, how much, how fast the technology was going to improve. But now there's clean, almost environmentally friendly fracking that can find oil, you know, a mile or two or less under the ground, and it's there. It's this 10 billion barrels of oil under Missouri. Like, it's it's unbelievable how much oil the United States has with the new technology. Now, I don't know what to, I feel bad for the Middle East. They're going to go they're going to go back to the dark ages. Oh, they don't I, need oil I anymore. Don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for them at all. I can't wait to <laughs> f*** them over. Those, those, yeah. those f- <laughs> um, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, uh, and and I and uh, this is an interesting discussion now. Um, how about this? Well, I I have been uh, I've been studying these shales for years, and I'm not saying I know everything there is to know about it, but I do know that there are there are at least twenty separate shales in the United States where they each each have more than twenty billion barrels of recoverable oil. Okay, that means given today's technology. In a couple decades of time, we're going to be able to produce at least that much oil from each of these shales. The Klein shale, there might be 50 billion barrels of oil in. I mean, it's a, it's a, that's a, the new one in Texas. But anyway, the point is, I, I agree. And, and, and production now, as you've seen, right now we're over seven billion barrels a, a day, and we're, and it just continues to increase in oil storage, and we're, we're moving oil around on trains. We're producing so much that we don't have pipelines yet. The, the, but what I'm curious about is when is the price of oil going to really fall out of bed? Because demand is not growing. Well, you know, the problem, here. here's the issue. Demand in China is growing. And what I'm seeing from the smaller companies that I either advise or I'm invested in is that China, you know, through, you know, all their different, different government-owned petroleum companies, they're trying to do deals left and right through every possible shell company they can uh, to own acreage in Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Texas, and so on, so they can have a piece of that. Because demand is growing in China. Now, it's not growing as much here, but China needs it. We're not going to electric cars anytime soon. We're not going to nuclear energy, for better or for worse. Oil is going to be around for a while. Now, 2020, will I be thinking the same way? No. But right now, I'd get into into oil and, and gas. I think I personally think that there's a huge potential in, in gas, and where I've been uh, focusing my work is on there's there's just like little tiny cracks in the door in America because you know the government won't let you export crude oil. Basically, there's there's some ways to get around that, but it in, involves swapping oil. It's not it's it's just it's nonsense. You can't export large volumes of crude, and right now you can't export large volumes of natural gas because we don't have the we don't have the technology in place. Not that it can't be done. But there's uh, there's something like 24 separate companies that are waiting for the government to approve 
their plans to build an LNG export facility. And a lot of these things are just converting LNG import facilities into LNG export facilities. So it's not like it's a, it's an issue of safety or whatever. The plants are already there. The government is so fearful, though, of allowing energy exports because they don't want to be blamed for high gas prices. And the irony, of course, is that the, the oil that we're producing is light, sweet, crude, and all of our damn uh, gasoline fracking and distillation plants, they all run on sour crude from, from Venezuela and from Nigeria. And so yeah, it's just funny. it's it's going to take a decade or maybe three before we can have the facilities to use the oil we're producing uh, to to make gasoline. And so I've been yeah, buying it, uh, it, I've been buying uh, the guys who can't export energy. So the one guy that's approved for LNG is Schneer, as you know, LNG. And uh, and then the um, I was excited when I figured out the propane angle because propane is much easier to ship because it it turns into a liquid under a fairly light pressure. So the huh. propane company Targa, uh, it was a it was um, spun out of uh, the failure of Dynagy and um, Pincus Warburg put it together. I mean, I'm doing great on it. It's gone from I don't know 25 to 60 this year because it's it owns one of two plants where you can export large volumes of propane. So it's like the only little crack to get the energy out of America. So I think what's going to have to happen, and this is a guess because no one can predict the future, but sooner or later. If you keep increasing uh, crude oil production in the United States by 25% a year, sooner or later the price is going to fall out of bed because we can't use it all. So the government's going to eventually have to let us export it. Or otherwise, the whole industry is going to completely blow up because they've all borrowed a ton of money to dig all these wells. Yeah, I agree. The other thing is, too, though, uh, the technology is going to get so ridiculously cheap to bring stuff up that, okay, let's let the oil price fall. It doesn't really matter that much to us. And, it'll, and again, it will screw all the Middle East. Yeah, like where they they've got their old oil wells with old technology. We're going to start bringing stuff up for five dollars a barrel. The guy, you know, not yet, but but soon. The guy, so, okay, let's bring let's bring oil down to forty bucks. Like America will boom, and uh, and everybody else will will pay for it. The guys, I the guy I'm so excited to see what will happen to him is the guy at uh, at the it's pronounced Cutter, I think. It uh, it it looks like Qatar, but I think it's pronounced Qatar. I've never been there. I don't know. Have you been Have you been over to to Qatar or Qatar or, or Abu Dhabi or? Um... Yes, I I've been to Dubai. Dubai, yeah. So I haven't been over there. I I, I want to go see it because it, it's just madness. But the Emir of uh, Qatar, he's the guy who owns Al Jazeera, and uh, and he 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 gets all of his money from this enormous um, natural gas facility he built. I think it's called the Pearl. And it's like the world's largest natural gas production liquefaction facility. And so Qatar has been dominating the world market for um, for liquefied natural gas. They've been supplying Japan in particular, right? But now you've got this thing called Gorgon in Australia that's going to be even bigger than the Pearl. And you've got Chenier and all these other plants coming in America. You're going to have this. You're going to have an enormous competition f- for this guy. And of course, he's he's he, he built it looking back at 60 years of Persian Gulf dominance and figured what could possibly go wrong i i'm gonna borrow hundreds of billions of dollars and build cities in the desert it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah there you know to, to some of those countries credit they're diversifying by investing in companies here but yeah they're all in trouble because the united states has them beat like the united states has always been the best for for and the, the, this hemisphere has always been the best for natural resources and we're just going to prove it over the next few years Ah, I, I love it. So we've got we've got the the growth in temp staffing. We've got the shale boom in the U.S. Any other big trends that you are you're fond of? Yeah, I mean, 
and again, this is kind of an old trend, but there's new ways to hit it, which is, you know, the rise of social media. Now, Facebook and Twitter might be old stories. I would never recommend Facebook stock specifically, but uh, uh, I do think companies are moving away from the web to doing transactions and commerce on Facebook. And I think that the picks and shovels of that uh, social media gold rush are going to win. So the agencies and the technologies that help companies sell stuff on Facebook and, and Twitter and with all this new social media, uh, they're going to be big winners as well. But there's no public companies in that space. That's where I do a lot of my venture capital work. And finally, I'm a big believer that uh, uh, the FDA should be banned. Um, but that the best prevention is, or the best cure is prevention. So I think diagnostics on diseases like cancer are going to have big technology uh, swings upward in the next few years. Yeah, uh, I, I've studied all that stuff uh, in another life uh, thoroughly back in the early 2000s. And I recall that Roche uh, seemed to have uh, the leading um, big company expertise in diagnostics. I don't know if it still does. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Roche does a lot of investments in smaller diagnostics companies. And so they are making the bets that, you know, for instance, Ro Roche has a deal with uh, Trovagine, T-R-O-V, which I'm a heavy investor in. And they do, uh, they can diagnose cancer in the urine as opposed to doing invasive biopsies. So they're uh, starting to get to be an exciting stock. And uh, so I'm very much interested in diagnostics and invest all over the diagnostic space. Because, again, I think once you're in FDA world, you're, you're over. You're screwed. I agree completely. This is like you're like our best guest ever. Ever. <laughs> Excellent. Well, have me on any time. I, I, I love it. I do. I, I just want to jump in with one thing. And uh, I'm an avid reader of your blog. I'm actually a subscriber to your list. And, uh, oh, thank you. And I've always tried to figure out. Groupie alert. No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all, not at all. But I've always tried to figure out why um, Porter and I excel at parties. And it all goes back to your, uh, your blog post on seven things that happen when you're completely honest. And it hit me. It's not like we're like uh, masters of comedy or anything. We're far from that. But we're the two most honest people in the room. And we repeatedly use our honesty Tourette's to kind of sizzle our friends, and in a weird way, they really enjoy it, and it kind of hit me when I read that. You're like, look, if 99 out of 100 people are not honest in a lot of their aspects of their life, they find it highly entertaining for somebody to be honest because it's so direct and refreshing. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah. that post. Well, 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 it's really true. Like, most people are afraid of honesty, and they're afraid of what people think of them. And what comedy is about is breaking down the walls, and there's this aha moment before you start laughing. So, for instance, take college as an example. College is really, we've all agreed, college is a waste of money or whatever. But now let's put it in a different light. I have two daughters. Am I going to really pay $200,000 for my two little babies to have sex three times a day for four straight years and, and get drunk every night? That's going to cost me $200,000. See, that's funny, and it's honest. Like, that's why college is bad. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, another guy in, uh, in, in, in our world who, of course, is a legendary guy, but he's also a great comedian, is, um, is uh, Icon. Have you ever seen any of his uh, Icon's uh, stand-ups uh, on uh, YouTube? Uh, Carl Icon? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I just saw the CMC stuff with uh, Bill Ackman where he, he really, like, lashed out at Bill Ackman on, uh, uh, gosh, I even forgot what soccer we're talking about. Herbalife. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Just, just for fun today, go to YouTube and type in Carl Icahn. He does, he does like, stand-up in, in New York sometimes. It's hysterical. Really? Yeah. It's just, and it's the same thing. It's just Honesty Tourette's. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Oh, I'll definitely check that out. That's a that's a new one for me. All right, James. Listen, I know you got better things to do. Thank you very much for the time, and uh, good luck with your investments. Uh, we'll stay in touch. I'm sure we'll uh, talk with you again soon. Okay, thanks a lot, you guys. Talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Stansberry Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique and Stansberry Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Stansberry Radio is not licensed to render personalized advice and should be considered simply the public opinions of Stansberry Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific financial securities are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, Fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.